in heaven, we thank you for this morning, uh, the reminder of your resurrection from the dead, the opportunity, uh, wherever we are in this moment, to celebrate that you have come back to life and to consider the implications of that, not just a historic moment, uh, not just something that happened in history that was significant, but it continues to have impact in our life today, in our world today. And so I pray that if anyone here is listening to my voice, that, uh, and if they've never considered the reality or the impact of the resurrection, God, that this might be the day that your spirit would uh, encounter them, that they would uh, respond to you, and uh, that all of our hearts and our ears would be laid open and bare before you now in this moment as we hear from your word and consider your resurrection from the dead, your life again, and the hope that that brings to us. Guide my lips, I pray, Jesus. May you be honored. In your name we pray it together now. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we are certainly at a moment in history where not just in a particular community or a particular life or even one country, but globally, uh, we are seeking not just good news, but we are hungry for hope. We are hungry for hope, maybe like never before, but I think this perhaps is the way it's always been, maybe not always to this extreme or to this uh, visceral sense that we need hope, but it seems that history is filled with moments, filled with expressions where people are seeking out and expressing a desire for hope, and really a hope that I believe that only God and only in understanding and embracing the resurrected Jesus, it's a search for hope in our lives that only Jesus can bring for us. The way it's always been, it seems, Shakespeare, even in uh, Macbeth, he has written life. Life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. It's a cheery image, huh? One character in the classic Canadian literature, Anne of Green Gables, uh, reflects this way. My life is a perfect graveyard of buried hopes. T.S. Eliot writes this, that this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. We know that life is hard and we are feeling it particularly so now. Life is full of seasons of shock and fear and disappointment. Moments of brokenness, no doubt, and we seek hope, we long for it, we hunger for it, and it is what God brings and reminds us of this Easter morning because of the resurrection of Jesus. Writer of the Lord of the Rings series and the Hobbit, J.R.R. Tolkien, he reflects this, he says, oft hope is born when all is forlorn. Mary Oliver, a poet I'm just beginning to enjoy and experience in her poem, I Wake Close to the Morning, she writes this. Why do people keep asking to see God's identity papers when the darkness opening into morning is more than enough? Certainly any God might turn away in disgust. Think of Sheba approaching the kingdom of Solomon. Do you think she had to ask, is this the place? That really is what Easter is about. When we consider the resurrection of Jesus, 
It is God's exclamation point, letting us know and verifying for us that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be, exactly who those early disciples claimed him to be, and he is still that today. He is the one who died, was buried, and on the third day rose again, victorious over death. Victorious over uh, the evils of the world, even though some linger, there is a day coming when all of the evil of the world that we know today will be put to rest. It is, it is a way of sowing hope into our lives when we embrace the reality of the resurrection. This Easter morning, we will focus on that incredible reality that Jesus was dead and he came back to life again. Not, not just a fanciful tale. But the reality that God has suffered with his people, that's what the suffering servant motif of Jesus is all about. That God has entered into the brokenness of the world and he has suffered with you and with me, shoulder to shoulder, all the way to death. Jesus has suffered, taking the sin of the world on himself. Jesus has suffered in order to lift you and me up out of our misery. You see, with the rising of Jesus, hope rises new for you. And that is what Easter is all about. We're going to read out of Mark chapter 16. If you have your Bibles there with you, would you open there to the last chapter of the Gospel of Mark? We find uh, the first seven verses of that particular moment when Jesus was discovered alive again. Here's what the Bible says. He, remember on Good Friday, a couple of days ago, uh, we remembered the death of Jesus. Uh, Saturday, Friday night, Saturday night, and now Sunday morning, the third day, he has been raised again from the dead. And here's how Mark recounts the story. When the Sabbath was over, that for them was Saturday, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint Jesus' body very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise. They were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. The Gospel of Mark is really the, the recounting of Peter... And Peter's interaction with the life of Jesus, it just happens to be coming through the pen of Mark. Pen was an associate of Peter, Mark was a, an associate of Peter. And here in the final chapters of the Mark, uh, Mark's gospel, we, we see certainly that Jesus is uh, uh, the centerpiece of all of the action with all of his grace and glory. But we also find a really interesting thread in these final chapters of this gospel because not only do we see Jesus in his glory and grace, but we also see Peter in his futility and in his failings. 
Remember, these are the recountings of Peter. It's an amazingly remarkable, raw and honest account of his own failures, his own brokenness, his own confusion at at the, the calling and direction of God, his own disappointment, and certainly his own fear. But you see, when Peter meets the risen Jesus, hope reaches out and grabs hold of him. A hope that wasn't just a fleeting moment or a a particular season where he felt happy. It was hope that captured him for the rest of his days and centered his life on the person of Jesus and put him square in the middle of God's will for Peter and through Peter, God's will would go forth for the world. You see, when Peter meets the risen Jesus, hope reaches out and grabs hold of him. Peter is a little bit in these final chapters of the Gospel of Mark, a little like what I call the anti-Midas. You you know Midas, right? The Midas touch. When, when Midas would reach out, in mythology, and, and he would touch something. You remember what it turned into? That's right, it turned into gold. Everything Midas touched turned to gold. And you've likely had a season or two in your life where everything you did perhaps seemed to turn out wonderfully golden. Maybe in your workplace, you, you've had a, a string of weeks that went on, maybe even months, where you were just closing deals and, and crushing work in an amazing way and co- completing projects ahead of schedule and to a really high level. You were getting praise and respect from your bosses and your co-workers and you were adding new clients maybe to your portfolio. It was an amazing time where it seemed like everything you touched turned to gold. Maybe you're a student today and you're home and learning from home, distance learning these days. Maybe you remember even as an adult today, looking back, uh, maybe there was a school semester where you really connected so well with your teachers and uh, the learning seemed to be a joy. Every subject was interesting and uh, the testing, every time you took a test, it was turned out so stellar. There was never a red mark. It seemed on any paper. Uh, You've probably had seasons like that where everything you touched maybe seemed like it turned to gold, but not with those anti-Midas seasons where it seems like it's just the opposite. And you've probably had seasons like that too. I know I have, where it seems like everything you touch turns to ash, not to gold, but to ash. Have you ever had a season like that, sort of the anti-Midas season, uh, where you couldn't seemingly do anything right? Well, that seems to be the way with Peter in these last chapters of the Gospel of Mark, leading up to Mark 16 and the resurrection story. And I want you to picture with me in your mind's eye, uh, you, you're one of the disciples, and you're leaving the upper room after the, the, la, uh, the Last Supper with Jesus. You're, you're walking, Jesus is with you, and, and you leave Jerusalem. You, you exit the city on the eastern side, and you go down the slope into the valley just outside Jerusalem. And, and then you begin to, to come back up on the other side, and you find yourself in an, an old uh, olive grove filled with olive trees called the Garden of Gethsemane. And and before you get there, though, as you're walking down, you're exiting the city, you're walking down that slope, and you're heading toward that that particular uh, uh, olive grove. While you're walking, Jesus begins to talk to you and the other disciples. And and he says, all of you, you know, all of you are going to fall away. That's not really encouraging, is it? (laughs) But he's stating the fact. Peter, Peter alone is mentioned in Mark as stepping forward and saying, Jesus, no way, not me. 
Uh, even if I have to die with you, there's no way that I'm going to fall away. You are the centerpiece of my life. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, especially you, especially you. In fact, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three different times, not just once. But he goes on to say there in uh, chapter 14, verse 27, he says, but after I have risen, we'll be together again. You see, out of darkness and out of disappointment and out of even seasons of despair and fear, uh, there is always a glimmer of hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. You see, when, when these disciples end up meeting the risen Jesus, hope has grabbed hold of them. And then they find themselves, you find yourself as one of the disciples, picture in your mind's eye, you find yourself there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you're asked by Jesus to pray with him. And then he takes three of them, Peter, James, and John, and they go a little farther off, and and then Peter's still farther, and and they're they're praying, and after a little while, Jesus comes back, and, and he finds the disciples asleep. He's asked them to pray with him and and to share this moment of agony and grief as Jesus knows what's ahead for him. This is Friday now. Uh, He knows what's ahead. He comes back and, and he finds them sleeping and he turns to them, but he speaks to Peter specifically. And in verse 37 of chapter 14, he says, Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? What another disappointment for Peter. He can't even stay awake and pray. And yet it continues. A little later, Jesus is arrested in that same garden. And it is Peter, John chapter 18 tells us, that it is Peter who pulls out a sword in order to defend Jesus and and to not allow what Jesus knows is supposed to happen. He's trying to interrupt the will of God, but he's, he's so zealous to protect Jesus, and, and he does harm, he injures someone, and Jesus rebukes Peter. And he says, Peter, put away your sword, because that is not my way, it is not our way of interacting in the world, it's not how we do things. Another disappointment, another failure of Peter to miss what God is doing in his life and around him. And then, of course, as Jesus is taken away and arrested, and uh, Peter follows at a distance, At least he follows, doesn't he? But he follows at a distance, and and Jesus goes late at night into this this really weird trial, and all this stuff is happening, and the three different moments Peter's encountered by those who seem to recognize him or, or lump him in with the group from Galilee who followed Jesus, and three different times you probably remember the story. Peter says, no, I didn't know him. And in fact, every time he's confronted with that thought, it seems like he increasingly and more vehemently denies the fact that he even knows Jesus, let alone as one of his followers, even at the end, calling down curses on himself in order to protect himself, he thinks, in that moment. What failure, what brokenness, what confusion Peter is living in, what disappointment and fear. And after that third denial, he hears the rooster crow and he remembers what Jesus says. And the Bible says that he goes out and he weeps and he weeps bitterly. And you remember the story. Jesus was executed. And for all of the disciples, as he was executed on the cross... 
Pilate's surprised that he died so quickly. They bury him that same uh, day. And uh, hope, it seems, has now been buried. Buried with Jesus. Peter returns to his old job of fishing. Hope is lost. But in Mark 16, chapter 7, you remember, we've already read it. When the women go to the tomb to do what Jewish women of the day did for a a dead body. They were heading there. The stone had been rolled away. The angel was waiting for them. And they said, don't be alarmed. The angel said to them, don't be alarmed because the the Jesus you're coming to visit here, he's not here because he's been raised again. You remember in verse 7 what what the Bible says? Mark 16, verse 7. The angel very specifically says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. I bet there's not a single disciple out of the 11 that that remained. Judas, of course, is out of the picture. I bet there's not another disciple who needed the tender comfort of God at that moment, who needed to be reminded and, and to have the assurance that Jesus really has risen from the dead more than Peter. No one probably needed to be lifted out of their despair, out of their own sense of failure, out of their own sense of disappointment with themselves more than Peter. And so the angel knowing that, God knowing that, says, go and tell the disciples and especially tell Peter that Jesus is alive again. I tell you, brother and sister, that I was so tickled when I read that and was reminded of the tender mercies of God today, knowing that even out of my failures, I want to serve God and I want to do it faithfully, but I stumble my way through life and I I bumble my way through my spiritual walk. And, And yet even when I fall flat on my face, God doesn't wash his hands with me. God doesn't turn his back on me. But he comes down every time and he scoops me up and he reminds me that he has been raised from the dead and he still has a hope for my future. And he does the same for you too. And I want to encourage you this morning that God holds you in the midst of your fear and God holds you in the midst of your sense of failure out of your own sense of disappointment with how your life has turned out or disappointment with the job that didn't become what you thought it was or a workplace that's not what it should be or a family maybe that you thought would be different than what it is now. God holds you and he lifts you up and he reminds you today. He reminds you today that he is alive and because he has been risen from the dead that hope rises with him and that with Jesus You too have a future that is certain and secure. I love the fact that Peter, he is radically changed. If you were to flip in your Bibles over to Acts chapter 2, you would find uh, here as Pentecost has now happened, the Holy Spirit has come in a particular way as Jesus had uh, predicted it. And, And here, who do you think is standing up outside the temple talking to his fellow Jewish people? None other than Peter. The Peter who was a failure. The Peter who was so disappointed. The Peter who was cowering in fear is now filled with the courage of the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says in Acts chapter 2. Some selected verses. But he's talking to the people. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. 
as you yourselves know. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and his foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has made this Jesus, whom you sacrificed, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter and the other apostles, uh, and they said to them, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You see, the same Peter who boasted that he wouldn't follow, fall away, the same Peter who fell asleep instead of praying with Jesus, the same Peter who used a sword in the garden because he didn't understand the way of Jesus yet, the same Peter who denied knowing Jesus because of his fear and a sense of self-preservation, when he meets the risen Jesus, everything about Peter is now different. Everything about his future is now different. Everything about his inner life is now different. Everything about the priorities of his life is now changed because of the hope of the resurrected Jesus. When Peter encounters the resurrected Jesus, hope reaches out and grabs Peter by the collar and embraces him and changes him. The day that Jesus was executed, the disciples, all of them, they were scattered. They were bewildered. They were sad and confused and afraid. And maybe that's not unlike some of the emotions and some of your responses to what is happening in the world right now, especially because of the COVID-19 virus around us. Maybe you're really sad about not being able to be together today in worship with others. Maybe you're confused as to when the conditions around you and around the world might improve. Maybe you're afraid about what the future holds for you or someone you love. These are certainly understandable responses. Perhaps as you shelter in place, perhaps you've been recognizing now as as your normal routines and patterns have changed, suddenly space has opened up in your life and maybe some areas of your life are beginning to be noticed in ways that you haven't noticed in a long time. Maybe you're realizing that your marriage needs an injection of hope. Maybe you you find that your family rhythms have been out of balance for far too long and, and that when things return to normal, that maybe your future interaction with your family needs to change. Maybe you find today that you're reevaluating your work. Somehow it's been uh, you've been furloughed because it has been deemed non-essential. And so you're wondering about uh, your work and uh, where you're working and what might be different about that when you return. Maybe... Just maybe you are coming face to face with some personal failings. Maybe you've had extra time or just in the difference of rhythms and routines, you've been reflecting more deeply than you usually allow yourself. And um, because you're buried in your busyness, maybe some of these inner areas, God's spirit is beginning to well up within you and asking you as they come to the surface, wanting you to deal with some of these things so that he can grow them And you're now noticing them more. Maybe today 
is a day that you would take some of your personal failures and, and you would confess them to Jesus. You, you would say, Lord Jesus, I, I agree with you that these things are dishonoring to you. I, I've not been the husband I should be or the wife or I've not been the parent. I have father or mother I should be to my children or I've not been the, the, the boss or the employer that I should be or I've not really lived up to my responsibilities in my workplace. Uh, whatever it might be, I've burned bridges in these relationships and I need to do what I can to go and mend those relationships. Whatever it is today, would you take a moment sometime today, don't let the sun set today without taking a moment to confess that to Jesus. Because uh, we are, we've been looking a couple weeks ago at how uh, the Bible tells us that we can cast all our anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for us. And in 1 John, we're told that if we confess our sins to the Lord, that God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, my friend, the risen Christ brings hope. Maybe fear has encircled your life and it, it feels like it's tightening around you like a noose. This is a good day to give that fear and anxiety over to the Lord, to lay it down at the foot of his cross where he suffered for you. Let God replace that fear over time with a settled sense of trust for the future that he has for you. You see, Jesus rising from the dead brings hope. Those first disciples, they encountered the risen Christ and hope grabbed hold of them. It changed the way that they approached the world. It changed their future. It radically altered their priorities to serve God in their days and it filled them with a real and lasting hope. How about you this Easter morning? As you encounter the risen Christ, would you allow hope from his resurrection? Would you allow that hope to change you, to steady you, to grab hold of you, and to carry you lovingly into God's future that he has for you? That is my prayer for you. Let's pray now. And we're going to sing a song of great energy and joy in just a moment. Loving and living God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the reality of the resurrection and how it changed Peter. It changed those early disciples. And the truth of your resurrection from the dead, the hope that it brings to us, it changes us. And it steadies us. And it restructures our priorities. And it helps us to examine our life and let you come and examine us. And we want to do that well. And because of these realities, that no matter where we failed, no matter how disappointed we have been, no matter how dark the fear maybe has been wrapped around us, that doesn't stop your love. That you continue to insert yourself into our life. You continue to come and, and call us to your side. And God, may we... May we reflect on that as we sing this song that reminds us of the joy and the happy day that Jesus coming back to life again and the promise of a new life in him brings to us. Hear our song and our singing now with happiness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.